seriously, these tarpon are rolling at, you know, 15 feet from your boat. So you do not have to be a good angler at all in order to catch tarpon out there. And that's why I say this is the perfect place to take the intimidation out of tarpon fishing. So, and I, you know, I, I personally am a, a fan of the, um, real flats pro line. I love that line. Um, but any saltwater line is going to work great. Anything that's there for uh, warm water, you know, you wouldn't want to use trout line out there because, well, we all know that those lines just don't work well. In That was Jen Ripple talking about a new tarpon fishery in Mexico. This is episode number 60 of the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our amazing supporters on Patreon. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Patreon. That's uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N to get bonus content and dig a little deeper with the show. In today's episode, I interviewed Jen Ripple, the editor-in-chief of Dunn Magazine, a amazing fly fishing magazine with a female focus. We talk about the perfect place for your first tarpon trip, some DIY tips for heading to uh, Mexico on your next trip, and an upcoming road trip with Heather Hodson. Jen shares her go-to piece of gear from Yeti how she made her magazine explode, and the best time to chase tarpon. Don't miss this one as Jen tells us why she didn't start drinking until age 38 and why she hasn't stopped since. So, without further ado, here's Jen Ripple from DunnMagazine.com. How's it going, Jen? Uh, It's going well, thanks. Good, great to have you on here. We've been talking for a while, and um, you've got some really cool stuff going on out there, including a, a magazine, which is which is pretty cool. So we're going to dig into a, a bunch of topics today, um, but I hope you can start off just telling us a little bit about how you got into fly fishing and then how you brought that up into um, kind of the magazine and everything. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I did not grow up fishing at all. I didn't fly fish until I was in my 30s. And uh, it's kind of funny because my grandfather fished. I grew up on a lake in Wisconsin and my brother and sister fished, not fly, but they were avid, you know, anglers. And uh, so I was not, I was like the black sheep of the family. And then I moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan and was working at the University of Michigan. And it was a really, really cold winter. And I had broken up with my then boyfriend and was looking for something to do. And so I took a fly tying class at a fly shop that's no longer there called Colton Bay Outfitters. And honestly, I took it because it was really cheap. It was like $85 for six classes. And I thought, well, if I don't like it, it's not like I spent $300 on something, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I walked in the fly shop for my first fly tying class and absolutely fell in love with everything that is fly fishing. So I did it backwards, right? I I became a fly tire and then Mm -hmm. during the winter, and then when the the ice was off the river, the Huron River, which runs through the campus of the University of Michigan there. Um, I just spent every day in the water after work teaching myself to cast and and catch fish and uh, learning about bugs and mm-hmm. you name it. I was like, <laughs> I know no one out there can like even imagine this, but I became obsessed, right? None of us <laughs> ever become obsessed. No. No, <laughs> so I just all. became this, obs- yeah, I became this obsessed fool and then um, moved back from uh, Ann Arbor back to Chicago where I was had spent the vast majority of my adult life and there was a little tiny fly shop or more like a rod building shop right in the little area that I lived in on my block and they were starting fly tying classes so I loved fly tying so I went and the guy that was teaching the tying class had just started a magazine called a tight loop magazine which is a midwest fly fishing magazine and so i had been writing a blog at the time it was not a fly fishing blog it was completely a different topic and he had heard about that blog and asked if i wanted to write a woman's uh, column and so obviously i did and uh then in like i did that for a couple of years and then in june of 2013 i started looking for a woman's magazine to write for and there wasn't one. So it took me about a day to realize there was not a woman's fly fishing magazine out there and about a day to pick a name and start contacting people to write for it. And then by September, we had our first magazine. Hmm. Yeah, just like that. So you, you yeah. went, and this was the digital version that you first got out there. Right. So for three years, we were digital only and we were only going to be digital. I never had any intention of 
doing a print magazine ever. And I started it out, you know, um, and I could start it out digitally because it was inexpensive. I could reach a bigger audience so I could do it, you know, as like just a hobby. And then people, you know, over for three years, people were asking, where can I buy your magazine? Where can I buy your magazine? Are you ever going to come out with a print magazine? And so finally, after all of that time, when I realized print was not dead, and people really wanted print still, um, and the paper quality, the recycled papers and the vegetable inks that I had been looking at were actually um, not affordable, but not as expensive as before. Then I finally came out with the first magazine, which was, this is our second year as a print magazine. Mm. And it's incredible to see the magazine just like explode. And when people say print is dead, it really isn't right. It's just, you have to be in a a niche market now and then that will, you know, that magazine survives. So we've been growing like crazy since then. And, uh, you know, that, that part-time hobby that I started after our first magazine came out last, uh, a year ago in spring and it was such a success. I got in the car and I thought, Oh my God, now I have to do this again. (laughs) (laughs) And I gave myself a full-time job and that's what it's been ever since. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, there's a bunch of things I want to unpack there. Um, One thing, this is kind of interesting because I've interviewed a few uh, women so far on the show and and I'll I'll be doing more. It's funny because I just um, interviewed Kate Watson last week and I think she talked about a breakup with her her boyfriend. And this is (laughs) a lot of people, a lot of people probably don't want to hear this, but I mean, I, I'm actually going through a pretty tough time right now. And, uh, and it's one of those things where it's like, wow, it's, uh, you know, talking to people and stuff. And, uh, it's, it's kind of cool that like the, the last couple of women I've talked to have brought this up and, you know, <laughs> no guys ever that ever came across the thing. And it's kind of funny because it, it's, I think it's, it's helpful to talk to people, but anyways, I, <laughs> I digress, I guess. No, you know, it's funny because you reinvent yourself during that process. And that's what I did. Right. So you reinvent yourself and it is, you know, it's kind of like we had an article, um, in one of our previous print magazines and it was, a uh, a girl from a young girl from Denver whose dad had died and she he had always wanted her to go fishing with him and she never did and so during the grieving process of losing her dad she found his fly fishing equipment and worked through the stages of grief with a fly rod and I think that it's the same kind of thing you know that's at least that's my experience is yeah. when I was going through that really difficult time fly fishing was that one thing that I could go on the river by myself, work out whatever was going on in my life and became a better person at the end of it because of it, you know? And so, Hey, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) That's good to hear. I know. I know. And fly fishing is uh, one of those things I've talked to Oh, project healing waters and all sorts of people. And yeah, it's, it's a, um, kind of helps you get through those times. So I'm, I'm hopeful that I think it'll, it's going to help me and just doing this show and continuing to talk to people has been helpful as well. So, yeah, for uh, sure. So cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's keep on track here. Um, so the Dunn magazine, I mean, obviously it's, it's, you mentioned it, it's kind of going crazy. People are, you know, reading it. And I mean, I'm sure there's a number of reasons why, but maybe you can explain just, you know, for somebody that hasn't read it, um, kind of explain what it's about and why, why do you think there's so much, uh, so much passion people are picking it up sure so well our tagline is to empower women not ignore men so uh, you know for us i like to empower the angler and it just so happens that our authors 99 percent of them are females so it is based towards the female audience but it is first and foremost a fly fishing magazine so we do have at least i'd say 50 percent of the people who read our magazine are male and that's because the articles are great and the photos are great and it is not a male bashing or you know that type of magazine in any way because when i would go to speak and i would ask a woman's all or only or um, audience i would say well you know how did you get involved in fly fishing was it you know your brother your dad your your son and i'd i'd list every male type of relationship you could have and then i'd look around at the end of that and i would see like 99% of the women in the room were brought into fly fishing by some male mm-hmm 
in their in their life, mm-hmm. right? And so the the small you know the va- the small vocal minority of men who say things like we don't want women you know, on our waters. That's just such a small yeah. amount that they give the rest of the male population in fly fishing a bad name. And I didn't want to be any part of that. So we do an empowering magazine. And when I think about empowering a, an angler or a female angler to get out on the water or to try fly fishing, it's not stories like, uh, you know, the professional angler who goes to BC and catches a beautiful steelhead. Yeah, that's a great story, but that doesn't make the average everyday person think, oh, fly fishing is easy and I can do it or easy enough to do it. Right. But if I tell the story of a woman who goes with her family to Ecuador and happens to pick up a fly rod for the first time and catches a beautiful brown trout and tells her story, that's empowering. That says, wow, this must not be as difficult as everyone says it is. And I think maybe I will try this. And so we tell the everyday angler story. We do not have, uh, I would say, 1% of our authors are professional writers. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is just oh, cool. the everyday person out there. Yeah. And it's, you know, and those are stories that everyone can relate to. And mm-hmm. it really hits home, you know. So, yeah. and those are the stories I like to read. So that's what we publish. That's cool. <laughs> do you have a feel for whether... Uh, a good majority are people that are more beginner level, or do you think it's kind of a mix of kind of beginner all the way up to advanced and things? You know, it's an interesting thing because being that, you know, the vast majority are females and, you know, women anglers, um, even if they have been fishing for a very long time, I find that women still consider themselves beginners. Mm. So no matter how long they've been out there, there, there are very few women that I come across that say, I'm a great, you know, I'm an expert angler, you know, whereas I, I kind of find that, when you go, and this is not a bashing sure. of any kind, I think it's just a difference. When I ask the same kind of things of men, it's usually, oh, I've been fishing for five years. I'm an expert, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. whereas women, no matter how long they've been fishing, it seems like they, they realize they don't know it all. They don't think they know it all. And so I would say the vast majority of the people that come to us are not are not professionals, you know, they don't have an English degree, they didn't go into journalism school, and they're not professional anglers. So yeah, new, new to intermediate, I would say, is what the stories we tell. Okay. And what do you think for, you know, I'm not sure who's on your, uh, on the staff, or, you know, if it's a one man show, or one woman show, or whatever, but Mm -hmm. uh, is it, um, I mean, what is the hardest part of, of being the editor of the magazine? Oh, wow. At this point, I would say the hardest part of being an editor, and it's not a one-person show. We have eight people on staff. They're not all full-time. Yeah. Um, But I would say that half of them are anglers and half are not. So it gives a good mix to the magazine. And um, I would say the hardest part is probably the advertising still at this point in the game. You know, um, people are just now, I'd say within the last year, realizing that not only do women really love to fly fish, but that they are a demographic that they want to advertise to. And so I would say advertising, and I don't think that that's unusual for any magazine out there. I think that's probably still the hardest part of any magazine. Um, Apart from the advertising side of it, I would say that deciding what articles go in the magazine is the hardest because at the beginning it was just like, oh, yay, we have five articles. (laughs) Good. Five articles came in. But now we get so many articles that come in that just to, you know, I want to tell every story. So choosing which ones go in which, um, you know, magazine and not having a background in journalism or publishing or anything like that uh, mm-hmm. is the difficult part now, gotcha. I think. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a, I've talked about Steve Duda a lot, but he mentioned that as the, the, his biggest challenge as well from, uh, you know, the Fly Fish Journal when he was there. Just, yeah, because he's got so many great, you know, you've got people like John Gearock writing stuff for you and all the rest. It's hard to, it's hard. And there's plenty of great people out there that just don't get accepted, right? You're at that. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Sure. Well, we're going to get more into some of the um, the done and some information there in the background, but I wanted to check in. Um, I think I heard this on a recent I think it was a podcast where we were talking about tarpon in uh, Tabasco. And Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with um, too much of tarpon or that area. Could you talk a little bit about maybe just, you know, um, first how the whole process getting down there and then, um, you know, how you get into uh, tarpon down there and what what it's all about? Yeah. So um, I would say maybe three or four years ago, um, I was contacted by a guy who wanted to us to come down the um, like the Department of Tourism for 
Tabasco or Villa Hermosa brought us down there. Um, they contacted us and said, hey, we have this fishery and we don't know if it's a viable fishery. We are in oil town and oil is going out of Villa Hermosa and we really want to be more conservation minded. And we have this river system that has all these fish in it. And we thought maybe you could come down and fish and see if you think this could be a destination place. And so when I hear, you know, so I contacted the, the, yeah, the son. It's a father and a son who guide, and they're the only ones that have the permission to guide in this river system in Mexico. So Tabasco is in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I started talking to him, he said, because I didn't even know at the beginning what fish were down there. And he said, they're tarpon. And he said, and there's thousands of them everywhere. And I thought, he's like, it's the best tarpon fishing ever. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, okay, great. You know, I've heard this before. I've fished in Isle Morada. I know. What does that mean? You're going to see like, you know, five, you're going to have a chance at maybe five fish a day, right? right? Okay, well, that's cool, you know, whatever. And I thought, well, if there are tarpon down there, hey, they're paying for us to come down and take a look at this and we'll give them our honest opinion. So we flew down on the dime of the tourism board there and we get out into this river system and it really is like, it it looks like the Everglades. So this is a uh, juvenile tarpon fishery and you go out into this really long river system. It's the second longest river in Mexico. And it empties from, you know, the ocean right into this river system. And you go into this brackish water area. And we take these boats up there, these little skiffs up there, and we stop. And you know how you're like on the the front of a flats boat and you're just kind of getting your line out there. So you kind of, you pull off all your line and you make a cast and you strip it all back in so that it's, you're all ready, you know, when the fish comes mm-hmm. so you don't tangle. Well, I do that. I cast my line out and immediately a tarpon grabs my <laughs> fly. Wow. And it, so within one minute I have a tarpon on and the guy in the back of the boat also has a tarpon on. Jeez. We have double tarpon on in the boat. And now these aren't huge. Uh, you can catch anything. I've caught six-inch tarpon out of there, huh. and there have been a hundred pounders that wow. have been pulled out of there, and it's crazy. They love to eat flies because they haven't seen them, and it has such little fishing pressure because you're not having you know fifteen guides out there all day long. Right. Um, yeah, but if it is so much fun, it is literally like when I show a video that's out there. And it's a woman who's stripping in, you know, she's catching a tarpon and she's landing this tarpon in this. It's just a small tarpon, maybe, you know, 15 pounds. Mm -hmm. And as she's landing it, tarpon are jumping and circling in the background right behind the boat. And you're like, this never happens. I thought (laughs) I must be in the fly fishing twilight zone. It it was it's the most incredible fishing that tarpon fishing that I have ever done. It's so much fun. And then on top of that, they have huge snook in there and all different types. They don't have bonefish and permit, but if you like tarpon and snook, this is the place. Oh, wow. That's cool. And is this, yeah. so, so the river fishing, I guess it's a little bit different than if you're fishing, say out in the Bahamas or some other place around where the tar- it's a big tarpon capital. Right. Yeah. So it's not flats fishing. Um, it is sight fishing because only in the sense that you see them at the surface. They're rolling all over. You know where they're going to be. So you're casting to this this fish that just rolled up on top of the water. Right. But you can also fish. Um, it can be like where you would drop it, use a heavy sink line and strip it along the bottom blind mm-hmm. fishing. You would do it that way as mm-hmm. well. That's where the bigger guys are. Yep. But it is the absolute perfect place if you have never caught a tarpon if tarpon intimidate you if you want to practice you know um to catch tarpon on the flats eventually it's the perfect place because Hmm. you will catch 20 30 tarpon a day easily even as beginner even as beginner my first hosted trip that i did down there after i went there was with eight women um only one had fished saltwater none had ever caught a tarpon and i would say six out of the eight could not double haul And they all caught tarpon after tarpon after tarpon. In fact, two of the girls said, well, I had stuck a bottle of tequila in every boat and said, okay, when you catch a fish, you get to take a shot of tequila. (laughs) So about halfway through the first day, I roll up again. I roll up on this uh, boat and I say, so how are you guys doing? And they said, we've caught so many fish that we only take a shot of tequila now when we miss a fish, (laughs) 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 which is unheard of when you talk about tarpon. Wow, wow. So, yeah, so it's a little bit different than some of the other areas, but basically there's a lot of action. And with your fly, are you still, is is it as critical to, I guess, twitch it or do the movement thing, or is it pretty much you just get it out there and then they're going for it? 
Uh, it depends. Sometimes they'll just go right after it as soon as it hits the water. But you still have to make a good presentation. You can't just lop something out there and just expect that it's going to go at it like a bass. It's yeah. still a tarpon, even though it's a juvenile tarpon. And to give you an idea of where this is, everyone knows where Campeche is. This is right directly before you get to Campeche. So the fish that used to be in the Campeche area, the juvenile tarpon fishery where everyone would go to mm-hmm. fish for tarpon there, there those tarpon, I would bet have migrated into this section now, and that's why this is so full of tarpon. And I'm talking hundreds of tarpon. You'll see them everywhere. They're just everywhere. Cool. Cool. And uh, y'all have uh, links to some of the stuff we're talking about at uh, wetflyswing.com slash Jen, J-E-N. And I'll have a link to all the... The notes there. So yeah, this is this is interesting. So I mean, do you think when you look at it, I mean, I guess somebody could be listening to this show in 10 years from now. I mean, do you think there's a chance that this area just from as it gets more notice from shows and things like that, that it'll be like some of these other areas or what's, what's stopping, you know, that whole thing. No, I think that this is going to be around for a very long time. And I think that because the, the, um, Tabasco and Villa Hermosa, which is the, the little like area inside of Tabasco, um, the city is very protective and they're very specifically protective of this wilderness preserve that's what it is. It's a natural preserve, and they're very um, protective of who fishes there, how they fish there. And so that's why this father and son are the only ones allowed to guide there. And they're only allowed to guide there because the dad, Paco Maroquin, and his son, Paco Maroquin Jr., have had it. They are like, if there's a TV fishing personality in Tabasco, it is them. He's had a TV nice. show for about 10 years now. Oh, and really? so he is like the fishing celebrity. Yeah. Oh, cool. Cool. So that's why he has a really good, close relationship with the government. And that's why they allow him to fish here. Gotcha. Got it. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll try to find some links. Maybe there's some, uh, some stuff out on YouTube or out online on some of the, the, uh, well, I guess it's, it'll be in Spanish, but, um, well, so thinking about this now, if I was to, if I had a few weeks off and I just wanted to go down and, you know, maybe I wanted to have half of it just go down into the local community and hang out and meet people. And then the other half was going to be a, a fishing sort of thing. Is that something where you could, uh, I might be able to go down there and do that if I, I set up, a, set something up with them in advance? Absolutely. In fact, Tabasco um, is where the the pepper, the Tabasco pepper is actually grown for, it's not where Tabasco, yeah, it's not where Tabasco sauce is made, but it's where the pepper is grown. And, but on top of that, Tabasco is known for their chocolate. So that's where the cacao bean is. And so you can go see the, the, you can tour chocolate plants and plantations. You can go see the pepper fields. You can go to the museums. And then, you know, not too far away is Punta Allen. So you could actually do a combined trip if you like uh, bonefish and permit as well. You could fish in Tabasco for tarpon, and then it's not a very long drive to go to Punta Allen for you know your permit and your bonefish gotcha. on the flats. And, mm-hmm. and, and what is just a rough average on like a cost of something for say if you're down there for a few days or a week or something? Yeah, sure. So I do trips all the time. They're like twenty five hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that includes your housing. You know, you're you're staying at uh, a nice uh, like Hilton or one of the yep. high, I think it's a Hyatt, the Hyatt, you're staying at the Hyatt. It includes all your food. It includes your guides, um, fees and includes everything. Gotcha. Um, and except for your airfare, obviously. Yep. So I'd say 2,500 bucks, 2,800 bucks is where you're looking at. Okay. There you go. Okay, cool. And so, yeah, so it sounds like, um, you know, it's pretty straightforward getting down there. Are there any other things to, to know? I guess we could talk a little bit about the gear, you know, what you need if you're going to go for tarpon. What is there a kind of the basics fly a rod, reel line leader stuff set up yeah i i usually fish an eight weight down there um you can bring a 10 weight i bring in a 10 weight as well but anywhere between eight and ten is good um like i said it's a juvenile tarpon fishery but they have pulled out sarah these from um she used to be in charge of the travel at orvis i brought her down and she had only been fishing for a year and she caught a hundred pound tarpon down Jeez. there on a clouser minnow yeah on a clouser minnow wow so they eat anything that has a lot of flash on it. I have found the more flash, the better. So uh-huh. anything that's like an EP type minnow or a clouser pattern, um, I I personally like pink and white. Uh, anything with a lots of flash, you're uh-huh. gonna and uh, and eyes. I think eyes are important, especially in salt water. So I would put any any kind of bait pattern in there, and you're you're gonna catch tarpon. Okay, and then and like you said on the casting, the casting. I mean, it's important, but. You don't have to cast a, a mile out there. It's just a, 
average size? What, what's the length of cast you're usually oh, throwing? Oh, seriously, these tarpon are rolling at, you know, 15 feet from your boat. So you do not have to be a good angler at all in order to catch tarpon out there. And that's why I say this is the perfect place to take the intimidation out of tarpon fishing. So, and I, you know, I, I personally am a, a fan of the um, Rio Flats Pro line. I love that line. Mm-hmm. Um but any saltwater line is going to work great. Anything that's there for uh, warm water, you know, you wouldn't want to use a trout line out there because, well, we all know that those lines just don't work well yeah. in warm water. But anything that's, you know, for saltwater would be perfect line for you. I, I like a floating line with the sinking fly mm-hmm. that gets it down just a little bit under the water, and that's where they seem to be cruising there. And you're going to throw up way up into the mangroves and strip back a slower a slower okay. strip, but keeping it moving, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're coming out of the, they. There's <laughs> so many of them in there. You're going to be amazed. I mean, I I don't know if you can tell, but I really <laughs> love to fish tar. Yeah. I really love to fish Tabasco. That's awesome. No, I've I've talked a little bit about tarp, and I've had mostly guests that I've asked occasionally like what is the your if you had to go with one species the rest of your life and, and a lot of them say tarpon and uh I, I imagine that's because of of the feel could you describe what it, what a tarpon of a, a larger size or you know a fish big fish you've caught before feels like when when they're on there yeah well for me you know I think a smaller tarpon is going to fight just like a large tarpon right there's still a tarpon mm-hmm. I think the thing that really gets anglers and specifically people who love to fish for tarpon and who have fished for tarpon is that you know as many as you catch you're going to lose because they are a prehistoric fish they've been around for a very long time they're smart right and then they're just beautiful that giant eye looking at you but you know they jump like crazy and they spit the hook and so they really will test you and i think you know those of us who are avid fly anglers or who get obsessed by fly, it's not because, oh, it's so easy, you know, and it's and I love to cast, but I think it's the challenge. You know, I can go out one day and feel like the best angler ever, and then the next day just get my butt kicked <laughs> by this sport. Mm-hmm. And it's always something that you can learn and challenge yourself with. And tarpon are the ultimate species to test your skills on. Nice. Nice. Okay, well... Uh, we'll we'll come back to this here if uh, a little more as we get towards the end. But I, I did want to touch base a little bit on just thinking. Well, one topic that we've touched on a little bit is kind of the women in fly fishing. Obviously, you have a magazine that's dedicated. Well, it, the fifty fifty split on readership is pretty awesome. But at least you, you you know a lot of women writers and stuff like that. Well, what has been your take since you've been in? And what, what year did you start again fly fishing? Uh, two. What's what year did I start fly yeah, fishing or yeah. what? Oh, uh, yeah. so I started about twelve years ago. Okay, so yeah, so you've been in it twelve years. So basically, you have that view, and you probably have a little history of before that. But what have you seen in changes in the kind of women and fly fishing movement over the years? Huge changes. I would say the biggest changes have come in the last five, four years or hmm. so, um, and it's just an upward. It's an upward trend now, right? I think you know when I first started out, I had to wear. I had to wear boys waders, so I'm not very big. And so there were no women's waders out there. They just made regular waders. Hmm. And if they did make women's waders, they took all the technicality out of them. I, they kind of did the whole like, oh, yeah, women want to fish, but they just want to go along and sit on the beach, you know, or on the side of the riverbank. They don't yeah. really want to fish, right? Huh. And so they made waders, but there was no technicality to them. Whereas now you can find waders, so many brands of waders out there made just for the woman angler, you know, and we are built differently. Mm-hmm. And I feel for the manufacturing companies because we are, we come in all shapes and sizes, right? Mm-hmm. And we are so particular. It's a mm-hmm. hard job out there to make waders and women's gear, but the, but the, you know, the manufacturers are doing it. There are, and I would say in the last five years, I have seen a number of women owned fly fishing based companies come up and are now flourishing you know you have um athena and artemis the woman's fly shop you have sarabella rods that makes women's rods mm-hmm. you know you have angler who makes women's gear i mean wow. a fishy wear who makes all the leggings i mean and these are companies that were not around five years ago so i've seen such a change and even if you look at online presence right mm-hmm. i mean there's a whole we could get into the whole debate about women in yeah. in, in social media and all of that kind of stuff yeah. but you know, when you look at that, I think that now women are really like they're legitimate anglers. They are finally at the point where they are um, actually out there doing the sport that they love. And they're saying they're not saying, hey, look at me. I'm so great. They're saying this is something I love and I'm proud of. 
you know, and I think that the more women that get out there into the social media platform and, you know, just show their love of fly, it encourages more women to get involved. And I think that's where the snowball effect Hmm. is going on right now, where we see more women out there in social media that are catching fish and loving this and having a a fun time on the water, which is just encouraging more women to get involved. Yeah, that is great. That is great. Is there any, I mean, when you look at, uh, you know, I've been trying to get more women on the show and I've had some really great guests and we've got more coming, but, you know, as I, as I put together these programs, do you think I should be looking at my episodes, the way I put them together any differently, because I kind of have a, a little bit of a biased perspective, or do you think I can just kind of do as I, you know, I guess the way I do it is I kind of look for things that are interesting to me and then I, then I cover them. Uh-huh. But is, are there, are there tips if you're trying to reach, you know, some of those just to provide a, more value for other women out there? Yeah. You know, I think that, I think that a, women give a different perspective to the sport. And so things that might be interesting to you are not really, um, you know, which might be more like the technical aspect of tarpon fishing or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm just speaking, you know, I don't, I'm just, you know, giving something off the cuff, but I would say that women give a more experiential, um, uh, kind of bias to the Mm -hmm. sport. And so it doesn't have to be the biggest fish. It doesn't have to be the best fish. It can be an experience. And so I think that if you, as long as you include women who are, are doing cool things in the industry, um, in your podcast, I think you're doing a great job. I think you're already reaching out to women. So, you know, okay. why change what's working at yeah, this point? That's true. That's true. Yeah. Things are, things are probably not uh, booming at quite the rate you are, but we're seeing, uh, <laughs> we're definitely getting growth, you know, and it, it's fun to I'm reaching out to new people and getting great feedback. So it's pretty cool. So well, yeah. on that line, as far as the, um, you know, kind of the experience you mentioned, a story a little bit earlier um, about the uh, the girl and her father. Is there any other story that you know, maybe a, a article or something that sticks out that you know you've had in the magazine over the years that really kind of something you remember or resonated? Oh, sure. There's so many of them. Um, I had one woman early on. She's a scientist and she studies Midwest steelhead, and she wrote an article that we entitled "Wild." Um, and it was wild steelhead in the Midwest. So we're talking about an anadromous fish that come from the river system into Lake Michigan and then back into the rivers to spawn, just like they would out in the ocean. Um, and she studies specifically the otolith. And I thought it was so interesting because she could show where that steelhead spent every single day of its life from the time it was an egg. So, I mean, every single day, and it, she could prove that these fish do not always go back to the same river to spawn. She calls them players. So there were other fish, there were steelhead that would be born in a river system, go out into Lake Michigan, spend its time in Lake Michigan, and then go into another river. Mm -hmm. And she also could prove that by the sediment that was in the rivers, why, you know, for the most part, why they did not go back to the same river, be it water quality Mm. or, you know, that kind of thing. I thought that was so fascinating Mm. because for so long I had only heard that, you know, fish go into the same river to spawn, you know, the river that they're born in, that's where they go. And, and so she could actually absolutely prove that they had not. And then, you know, I think we've had so many interesting young girls write for us. And we just, um, in our last edition, we published an article called, uh, uh, Brook, Brook trout and blueberry pie. And it was just, it's by this young girl and we call her Lil D to protect who she is. And she has been fishing with her dad forever. And she goes up into the Adirondacks and fishes at, you know, out of her grandparents' cabin on these little teeny tiny rivers and catches fish. And she just legitimately loves to fish. And it was so neat because a lot of times we'll have, you know, parents who want their, their young girls to write for our magazine. But you can kind of tell that. It's the parent who wants to write, and it's not really the child that wants to write. But this little girl submitted all of the papers that she had handwritten for her story in our magazine. It was so inspiring, you know, just these young girls that are out there. And then, you know, yeah, I mean, and I love to tell those stories. And then, you know, we have a woman who's coming up with a story, and it was a fishing trip that she went on for her 70th birthday. And so we have the whole gamut, women mm. of all ages, races, you name it, we yeah. have it. And and that's what I, I love that, you know, all those stories, the ones that I just really, really, you know, resonate mm. with who I am and what I want to put out there. Yeah, yeah, no, those are actually all those those things you brought up, all brought up different things, different questions I had. Um, one of them just there, um, 
you know, on, I've talked about this in the past, but I have a couple of small, you know, girls that are amazing. Uh, they're four and six years old. And, uh, you know, I'm just excited about some amazing stuff, you know, down the line. In fact, I think I'm going to stick a, a Dunn magazine in, in my older girl. She's totally into fly tying and like, she's just going for it. So I think I'm going to stick a, a, a Dunn magazine in there and let her know like what, what you're doing. And I think, she's oh my gosh, excited. she's totally, that'd be great. Yeah. She's like loves reading and stuff. So I think. I'm going to do that. That's definitely one thing. But, you know, I was kind of thinking just randomly, you mentioned keeping the um, the identity safe. Do you think that's something um, that you kind of should worry about? I guess these days that's you always think about that stuff kind of, you know, when you're ki- putting your kids or things like that, photos and things like that with all the social media stuff. Do, do, do you ever think much about that? Yeah, you know, I have I have three daughters and one son. And so I, I guess maybe the mom in me is protective and, you know, when I was early on just learning to fish in Ann Arbor, I had never, you know, I was from a small town in Wisconsin, and then I had lived in Chicago. And so, I, you know, going to Ann Arbor after living in Chicago for so many years, it never really occurred to me that being on the water would be a safety issue. I'd been around water my whole life, grew up around water, don't even remember learning to swim, that kind of thing. But one day I was fishing, and I was fishing right downtown Ann Arbor. And I was coming upon like the, and the university of Michigan is right there. It's not like this is a secluded area. There was a viaduct and I was fishing by myself and it was a beautiful summer day. And before I knew it, there were like three or four homeless men that were just standing there watching me and catcalling to me as I was in the river. And, you know, it had never dawned on me that I would feel uncomfortable out mm. there. But I think as a woman, there are different things that, you you know, your safety is a different priority than yeah. I think maybe my counterpart male um, fly anglers have to worry about all the time. And so having daughters, I think I've always just been even more conscientious about it when um, I have a young writer that writes for us. I'm very, I work very closely with the parents and make sure that they know exactly. And the parents are the ones that tell me how they want their daughter to be out there. But I always tell them, you know, would you like, you know, I'm a little hesitant to, to, because they talk about where they're from. Right. And they talk about where they fish and the rivers they fish on. And, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I just don't want to be any part of um, putting anyone in a, in a compromising situation. So I do try to think about those kind of things, especially for our younger girls. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Okay. And uh, you know, this is good. So I, I guess we can, you know, just thinking, you know, again, on the lines of, uh, you know, some of the stories, is there, when you look back at, at your life, you mentioned, you know, when you first got into it, along the way, has there been a story that was kind of a, maybe a transition point where it kind of got you all in or made you go into the magazine or, or maybe when you knew you were, you were there, you were kind of, you were able to do it. I mean, cause you, you mentioned you're, you're all in on this, right? Oh yeah, I'm all in. Uh, you know, there's no backing out now. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think, you know, it was only like from June to September and we had our first magazine. And I think that early on, I realized this was something that people really were, were looking for. And I, and I kind of thought that when I started it, I thought, well, if I was looking for a woman's magazine, I'm sure other people were as well. And so I feel like because we had our first magazine so quickly, you know, it was from, from June to September, our first magazine came out in September. And then, you know, it took the people at that, distribute to Barnes and Nobles and Books a Million, it took them no time at all to tell. In fact, it took such a little bit of time for them to accept the magazine Mm -hmm. at the the bookstores that I actually said, do you think I could come in and talk to you? And because I was just like, this is kind of a scam, right? Hmm. Because they said yes right away. And I was like, this, uh, this can't be possible. And so we, my, a couple of my staff and I walked in and had this meeting with Ingram distributing at the time and said, um, I said, do you accept everybody's magazine? And they looked at me like I had a third eye and they were like, <laughs> no, why? And I said, well, because it didn't take you any time to say yes. And they were like, yeah, because this is something so new and fresh, you know? And I thought, oh, okay. So mm-hmm. there is a bigger, you know, demographic out there that wants to see this. And, you know, our, our editions, they sell out. I mean, we have, wow. I think we have maybe one edition that still has, uh, back order, you know, back magazines that are available, and we are at the sellout point of a lot of our different editions, which is good. You know, yeah. I, I love that people love the magazine, and I, and so I think early on I recognized that this was something that I was fully involved in. And to be real honest, I mean, why would you want to work in anything else? Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, it's it's definitely inspiring hearing your story because. 
you know, you've obviously put in a lot of time and you have the passion and things like that, but you know, and you mean, you haven't done this your entire life and you know, you jumped into it and you're, you're leading, you know, you're leading the way. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I might be leading them in the wrong direction, but I am leading at some <laughs> yeah, point, right? right. <laughs> well, that was a, that was kind of another question I was thinking about, you know, the Dunn magazine, I think you've mentioned this before on uh, other interviews and things, but it's kind of that safe place for, you know, especially women to go and, you know, read and, and kind of talk, uh, you know, at least I guess probably through the website. Are there other places, you know, that are kind of safe, safe places where women can go and talk to other women about fly fishing where they don't have to worry about, you know, kind of any of that other stuff that might happen? Yeah. Well, I think that you interviewed Heather Hudson, right? Yep. Yeah. And I mean, I love Heather. She is one of the most genuine people. And we did this cross country road trip um, last summer where we spent 19 days in the car together. And so I can vouch for her and for everything that she does. Her United Women on the Fly, I would say, is one of the best groups that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, I just really love what she's done and the networking that she does. I mean, you can go onto her website and find a woman you know, say, I'm going to go to Utah and fish and you can go to her website, look at Utah and find a woman to fish with that's or sweet. someone to f that will fish with out there. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's been really cool. I mean, we do that as a magazine as well. We have people write into us all the time and say, Hey, I'm going to go travel here. You know, do you know anybody? And we connect people, but Heather is really a genius at that. And yeah. so I think United Women on the Fly really, uh, apart from our magazine is, has done an excellent job at, you know, making women feel safe and giving them a sounding board to be able to tell their stories as well. Nice, nice. Cool. And uh, now are you guys doing another uh, road trip this year? We are. In fact, we are um, at the fly fishing show. I'm in charge of the women's showcases at Denver and in Edison and then in Atlanta. And we are showing our film that we made on our first road trip. And in Denver, uh, in a couple weeks, we are announcing where our next road trip is going to be. So I can't tell you where uh -huh. it is yet. But I can say that it's going to be a lot of fun and it will be starting at the end of September, beginning of October. Nice. A end of September. Okay. Beginning. So this has got to be, well, I'm just going to make a guess. It's going to have the Skeena Basin included in it, maybe, but. <laughs> uh, so okay well this will this will be awesome I'll, I'll provide links out to to that as well um in the show yeah that'd be great yeah so you know when you think about it, i mean i know you guys did your first trip it was kind of a you know it was really cool because you didn't you know try to do it on the diy sort of thing uh, you know are mm -hmm. you going to do the same thing and do you have any tips for people that maybe want to go across country and, and do some things where you know they maybe don't want to spend a ton of money but they want to hit some cool areas Right. So that's exactly what we did. Right. So Heather and I are both on a trout bomb budget. Neither of us are uh, individually wealthy at, at in any means. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but publishing a magazine, I mean, that's not a small endeavor. It costs a lot of money. So, yeah. you know, where we can save money is where we really wanted to, both of us. And I think that, you know, I don't like the fact that people say that fly fishing is so expensive and you have to be like the elite of the elite to do it. There are a lot of ways to be able to do it yourself in fly fishing and save money and so we couch surfed and that's where the whole thing with like the networking that is available out there already in a social media platform or through united women on the fly or done magazine we were able to throw a fleece out there and say hey we're going to be in this is where our road trip is going to take us we're looking for people who want to fish with us guides who might want to take us out uh people where we can just sleep on a couch and so that's what we did. And there were, you know, we had so many people that just came forward and said, I don't have a big house, but I'd be happy to let you sleep on my couch. And so we did that. You know, we've slept on floors. We, we slept, we, one day, the people that we were going to stay with in Ennis, Montana, it just didn't work out at the last second because our event ran over for so late. And so we ended up meeting somebody at the guide bar there in Ennis, Montana. And he was like, Hey, you know, I have a house. Would you guys like to stay there? You know, and so we did. Now, would I suggest that to every person out there? <laughs> yeah. No, but people yeah. knew exactly where we were going to be at every time. And sure. so we, you know, we felt safe doing that with this person. It turned out beautifully. And so we're going to do the same thing because, you know, we brought, we, <laughs> we went to fly shops and what we would do is we would throw these big women's events and we would say to the women, like, for instance, we started out in Nashville at Fly South and said, we had a big event where women came in and we taught them about, you know, the anatomy of a fish and how to keep them wet and talked about what we were doing and a chance for women to meet up with other women and men too, you know. And then we, at the end, we just said, hey, we're going to pass around a fly box 
and we're going to look for people to give us, you know, if you want, feel like you want to give us cash to get to our next destination for gas money, we'd love that. And do you know that from that, from fly, from fly south to our next shop in the Driftless area of Wisconsin, in Viroqua, Wisconsin, we had to the dollar, we were $1 over <laughs> our gas from one place to the other of what we raised. And it just nice. went like that from one place to the next. And so we used the community of fly anglers to get us from place to place to place. And it was really neat to see this huge network of of women and men come together and manufacturers who supported us along our way, you know, including Nissan, who gave us a truck to drive. No kidding. I mean, it's yeah, it's just like wow. crazy crazy stuff that's out there all you have to do is just ask yeah. right there's yep. so many people who want to teach other women and get involved in fly fishing or help you along the way that's what i love about this sport it's just you know water seeks its own level and the people that are in fly fishing are just good people yeah yeah no that's a, those are that's great to hear those stories and i think that's the cool time we live in with the you know the social media you know the even the person that you know, isn't really involved in the industry sort of stuff can probably just reach out to, you know, the local, whatever Facebook group or something or fly shop in that area and, and get connect with some people and do the same thing that you guys did. For sure. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Which is, which is really nice. Okay. And well, I guess we've covered quite a bit here. I've, um, I definitely have a few more questions uh, I want to ask you before we get into uh, a little rapid fire round here at the end. Um, but, uh, before one thing I always ask is, I guess I call it the two, two, two. And it's, you know, we're thinking of tarpon, you know, your top, I guess your top two flies, top two tips and top two resources that, you know, that help somebody learn about mm-hmm. to get ready for a trip. So do you have a, yeah, because you mentioned some flies, but if you had to pick two flies that you would use. Aha, uh-huh. a clouser minnow and an EP minnow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how about, um, is there a tip, either a tarpon tip or just a general fly fishing tip that might help a couple of tips maybe that might help somebody who's going out there for the first time? Sure. In salt water, I would say that you always want to keep the fly moving. It's not like you're fishing for bass where, and in freshwater where if you pause and then you strip again, that, that predator will go and get it. In salt water, if you stop your fly, that's an unnatural presentation and you will probably turn the fish off. So I would say you always want to keep your fly moving. I would also say something that I mentioned earlier, especially when fishing for tarpon in Tabasco, a floating line with a sinking fly works perfect. It puts it right in the right water column. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And then are there a couple of maybe resources, maybe a book, I don't know, other magazine, online resource that you would recommend somebody if they wanted to get a little more information on getting ready for a trip down there? Sure. I would go to Fly Fish Tabasco. I think that they have everything that you might want and need to use. Uh, that resource is excellent. Obviously, uh, there's a good video on YouTube as well. If you just go to Fly Fishing Tabasco or you Google Fly Fishing Tabasco, you'll find a bunch of resources. Those are great. We also have some um, blog posts and articles on our own website at DunnMagazine.com. Okay. And what do you – so with the blog posts at the Dunn Magazine, so you have your – you know, your the magazine that goes out, but you actually have content you're putting out there on a regular basis at, on the site? Yeah, we have a very, very exhaustive site. Hmm. Nice. Yep. So okay. it's not just stuff that's in the magazine. I mean, we do things like the 12 do's and don'ts of going into a fly shop, you know, or uh, very basic things like how to put your fly rod together. Uh, you know, it, it there was a point in my fly fishing career when I'd been in fly fishing maybe three or four years, maybe, yeah, three or four years. And you'd walk into a fly shop that you've been going to for a very long time. And it gets to the point where people just assume you know things that you should have been taught, but no one ever taught mm-hmm. you. And you feel embarrassed then to ask the question or to tell them that you don't know those things so i mean i knew that i got to a point in my life where i was embarrassed to ask things that people assumed i knew so that's why we do a very basic page with Mm -hmm. questions you know teaching people things that a lot of anglers might think are very redundant or you know oh they should just know that but not everybody does so um you know how to get Mm -hmm. fly line twist out of your line things like that you can find everything from education to conservation to basics to in-depth feature articles on our website as well. Cool. Okay. And what is the best time if you're heading down there to, uh, to hit the tarpon? Sure. So I would say anytime, uh, I love to go anytime between October and May is my favorite. Otherwise it's just so hot. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. It's just, yeah. <laughs> you know, the tarpon are always there and yeah. it's good fishing all the time. There's the dry season and then there's the wet season, but it's always the hot season. So the, instead of going to the 
hotter season. I like to go to the hot season. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. And uh-huh. so this is kind of a, I guess, kind of a little deeper question. But you know, when you look back, if you kind of go a hundred years out, and you know, people are looking back on this time a hundred years from now. Is there something you you would want to be remembered for in, in kind of the fly fishing world and the stuff you're doing or you will be doing? Yeah, I would love to, apart from, you know, being known for the magazine, I would really love for people to look back and say, wow, she really did a lot to get people involved in the sport of fly fishing and she really helped grow the sport. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd like to be known for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting to, uh, to talk to, you know, I've been doing it quite a while and you know, I was kind of there when the, the river runs through it. We've talked about that on the show before, you know, the big boost there. But, it, yeah, it seems like, um, you know, there's been another boost. And I actually had just uh, Elliot Adler on a past episode from the Drake, you know, magazine talked about mm-hmm. Tom Bai and mentioned how Tom was involved in the kind of this change or recent change. I guess this might have been 12 years ago now or something, but where fly fishing kind of made a jump to this worldwide thing where we're also, Mm -hmm. we're talking about tarpon now, right? It it doesn't seem like we were talking about that a lot. So it's made this big jump and now it's made this jump in with women. I mean, what what do you think is the next, next jump? Do you think we're going to continue growing and more people are going to have opportunities to get involved? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I don't know why, you know, fly fishing can't be the next yoga and isn't already poised to be the next yoga that's out there where you can do it with your family and you can do it with your children. And I do think that children and minorities, you know, we need more diversity in our sport. And I would love to see uh, organizations like Richie Jones's African-American fly fishing take off. Because I just think that, you know, in order for our sport to survive, you know, we always think, oh, we're the elite in the sport. But really, we're like, what are we, 8% of all the fishing in the world? And so if we could just make a crossover and, you know, I find that fly fishermen, fly anglers tend to be very exclusive. Like we're like, oh, no, I'm not going to fish any other way. But, you know, whereas conventional anglers tend to be very inclusive and they're like, well, heck, if a fly rod is a better way to catch fish, I'm just going to use it. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me as long as it's a better way. And so I would say that we're going to grow in by by opening ourselves up to people who fish already but don't fish with a fly rod, to children and to minorities. I would love mm-hmm. to see those three grow. That's the way that we're going to keep fly fishing um, growing at this time. Yeah. How do you find um, those new people that maybe have no idea about fly fishing? So I love, we do some, we do a lot of sports shows um, and we do specifically one in the Chicagoland area. It's the Chicagoland fishing travel and outdoor sports show. And we do the saltwater show and they are not fly fishing shows, but the guy uh, Todd Alberto, who is the show manager, has a real heart for fishing and for, and he likes to fly. He likes fly fishing, even though he's not an avid fly angler. And he gives us our own casting pond just so that we can put a fly rod in the hands of conventional anglers all weekend long. And I'm telling you, the show in Chicago sees 40,000 wow. plus people a weekend and we teach a thousand people easily. No we put a we put a, a fly rod in the hand of a thousand people easily. On Sundays, he makes casting a fly rod part of the children's scavenger hunt, and so we put a fly rod in the hands of so many children on Sunday alone that by the end, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I'm gonna sleep for the next three weeks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, that's how we do it. We go to the shows that are not fly shows. Gotcha. Everybody that comes to a fly show has either an interest in it already or has tried it or is an avid fly angler. But if you say to the, you know, you get specifically, you go to these shows that are all conventional fishing and you get the guy who's got the kid along to try it. And then the kid makes a nice cast. Then before you know it, the dad's up there like, and then before you know it, they're going, Oh my gosh, this is so much easier than I thought it was. Mm. I need to buy the fly rod. And they look at what the fly rod is. And I can't tell you how many times they've gotten down off the stage and then come back to me and said, is this the one they got the site up? They got the, you know, the Orvis site up or the St. Croix site up. And they're saying, is this the rod I just used? And I'll say, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> okay. And they put it in their cart and they buy it right there. You then. Go. Wow. There you know, you go. it's, yeah. And you have a new angler. That's just how it works. That's cool. And so you're seeing, all right, well, I guess, I mean, you've been doing this a while going to the non-fly fishing shows. Yeah. For, and, I'd say probably five years. Okay. And so it sounds like you've seen, I mean, have you seen a little bit of growth there in the, um, you know, in the, I, I've noticed just at ours, I'm, I'm out here in Portland and I think we've talked about it before that we have a show that's just a, it's an all fishing outdoor show. And it seems like over the years, it's actually the fly fishing areas kind of shrunk 
And I think uh-huh. I'm not sure if that's partly to do with the ownership or whatever, but you know, it's it's just you just see it shrinking, and um, you know, good or bad, but uh, you know, for fly fishing, it just seems like there was more of a a footprint there. Is that? But you see the opposite. Do you see it kind of growing? So interestingly, I see the manufacturers coming to the shows shrinking, but I see the number of people who attend and pick up a fly rod and want to start fly fishing growing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of what I was saying before about the exclusivity that is <clears throat> fly fishing. They're kind of like they don't see the value in the the bait, you know, the bait chunkers or the worm dunkers, as they call them. And, hmm. you know, I and, and and, you know, to be real honest, I didn't either. I kind of was like, oh, that's the dark side. But then I moved to Tennessee and I live right next to Kentucky Lake where the professional bass tournaments yeah. are all held. And I'm telling you, it. I did a 180. When I look at these conventional anglers out there who I used to look down on because I was like, oh, they're just using bait. That's so easy, right? Yeah. But when if you ask a fly angler where the bass are going to be when the water temperature is dropped to 58 degrees and the wind is out of the northwest and the waves are at, you know, uh, one foot, where the bass are going to be in in, let's say, November, they can tell you exactly where they're going to be. I mean, the conventional anglers, you ask them that, they can tell you exactly where that bass is going to be. But if you ask a fly angler, well, when the water's 58 degrees and it's, you know, it's a one-foot waves and the wind is coming out of the northwest and it's November, where are the bass going to be? They're going to say, well, I'm just going to cast my fly up <laughs> towards the shore and pull it back, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we're not at least in a lot of uh, fishing. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think fly fishing is only for trout, but really I learned on on bass. So bass is my thing. And, you know, I find that the conventional anglers are very sophisticated. We do not give them enough credit as fly anglers. And I think that once you make that, that change in your thought process, you can actually approach conventional anglers knowing that they already know where the bass live, how the bass eat, what mm-hmm. the bass eat. And then it's just you're, you're just offering them another tool in their box to catch fish that they already love to fish. And then you've made a fly angler, a fly right. angler. Right, yeah. And I was just thinking Kelly Gallup, I had him on in episode uh, 52, and he touched on the same thing. He noted that he loves, he's got a bunch of people, bass gear fishermen and stuff that he just loves. And in fact, a lot of his... Um, the streamer uh, stuff that he came up with was based on some of the bass guys and the gear they use. So it makes sense that we can learn a lot from those guys, from everybody. It's just fishing. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's good stuff. Okay. Well, um, let's see. I guess I was kind of thinking about, you know, again, going back to, I guess, one more time back to the magazine and, you know, you, you kind of got to a point where I guess you, you went all in on it. Can you take us to that moment where you you knew this thing was – you know, kind of, it was going to be, you were going to be able to go all in on it or you, when you jumped? Yeah. So I, um, you know, it was only digital for a very long time. And as a digital magazine back in 2013, everyone was saying that print was dead and digital was the only way to go. And so, you know, we, um, I actually had my ad sales with my, you know, we were a new magazine. So to buy an ad in our magazine at that time was like a hundred bucks, you know, a hundred bucks and you can have a full page ad in our digital magazine. Mm -hmm. And I just could not sell an ad to save my life. Hmm. And then, you know, it got to the point where people just really, really loved our magazine and it's word of mouth started getting out there and getting out there and getting out there. And I thought, you know what, it's all about perceived value in this, in this market. It really is, you know, maybe the way that the game is played is that, well, I'm just trying to be nice to our advertisers and get our name out there, but they already know who we are. And maybe by having an ad that's only $100, they're saying, oh, it must not be that big of a deal. And so then <laughs> maybe this is the businesswoman in me. Mm-hmm. I like jumped our ad prices by 10 times and then I could not keep people away from our digital magazine people were trying to get in clamoring to get into our, really? to so our you, advertising so you, right yeah you 10x you, you so you went up to a thousand and it just it was perceived value is like people well, were knocking sure. on the door because then all of a sudden people realized that what i thought i had was valuable and that the people that read it knew it was valuable and so then it must be valuable and at this point now you know we have the statistics to back all of the all of our stuff but at the beginning at the beginning of it i think I, it took me realizing that what I was saying and what my team was actually putting out there was valuable and believing it myself. And I remember that day when I got the call from Orvis and they said, Jen, 
We want to advertise in your magazine. And I thought, oh, my God, I have finally we have finally done it. Yes, finally. You know, because I used to think that Orvis was just a dog bed company and not really (laughs) a legitimate, you know, fly company. Like, yeah, they sell, you know, vests and (laughs) barber jackets and dog beds. But then, you know, the people at Orvis, um, they reached out, Steve Hempkins and, um, you know, the, the Perkins brothers. They reached out and said to a group of us women. Um, we want to do this, this, we want to know exactly what the woman fly angler wants. And I thought, you know, to be real honest, when they asked me down there, I went with a bad attitude because I'd been asked this before and I'd given all this time and all this information and no one ever did anything about it. And so I just felt like it was going to be a waste of time. And they did such a good job at, you know, picking the brains of, I think it was like maybe 20 women, 25 women. What do you want? And then not only did they do that and spend two days with us, but they actually put into place new gear, you hmm. know, new media, new stuff. And then they threw money at the only woman's fly fishing magazine. And that to me, you know, not just because it was my magazine, but it said to a lot of women out there, you know what? They're putting their money where their mouth is. They really do believe in the female angler. And at that point, I was just like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Finally, women are making a place for themselves in this marketplace. And if I can have any small, tiny little part of that, I want in. And that's when, you know, Hmm. I really did like this 180. And then from that point forward, and then once you have a print magazine and people are like buying subscriptions where you have to produce the next magazine because they've already paid for it. Well, guess what? You're all in. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And going back there. And how many, how many um, times does it come out per year? It comes out four times a year. Okay, four times, yeah. So that's mm-hmm. that's pretty good, and that's pretty common, I guess. A lot of the magazines, I think the Drake does that as well, and Fly Fish Journal. So um, yeah, and it's a huge magazine. I'm you've probably I know you've seen it. It's yeah. hundred and you know hundred and forty plus pages, mm-hmm. and it's oversized. I mean, it is it is substantial. So I would kill myself, I think, if I tried coming out with it six times a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. No, this is great. Okay, well, um, you ready for a quick little rapid fire round? Sure. Okay. Um, so maybe you could just start us off with a little bit on, um, you know, I guess the, the most common question you get as far mm. as fly fishing. Most common question. Do you really fish? Really? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Do you catch those fish yourself? <laughs> and that's coming from just, uh, just kind of the people that are just <laughs> kind of curious. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And you know what? It is funny because I guess people, you know, you don't have to be, uh, a model to be the editor in chief of Vogue, right? So, and I always say I'm not a professional angler. I'm uh, the editor of a fly fishing magazine. I love it, but that doesn't mean that I'm an expert angler, right? Yeah, so, yeah. yes, I do fish. I love mm-hmm. to fish. That's what got me involved in this. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And do you have a go to piece of gear that, you know, when you're out there traveling, or it doesn't have to be necessarily fly fishing, but maybe on your road trip, something that you, you won't leave without? Yeah, I won't leave with, I won't travel without my panga. My Yeti Panga. I love that thing. I pack all of my clothes in it. I wish it had wheels on it, but man, that thing is indestructible. And when you're traveling, like I'll be in Argentina in January, I'm going to pack my clothes in that thing. That thing is indestructible. Oh, cool. And this, this is like a travel suitcase. Yeah. Well, it's like a, it's like a big duffel. That's also a backpack. It's really well made and it's made by Yeti. Um, and it seriously, you can pack everything in there. It's waterproof. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. I, I don't, uh, I'm not sponsored by Yeti, but I love, <laughs> I love providing, that's why that question is great because I think it provides some value for people that, you know, want to get some good gear and that's, that's cool. What do you think yeah. is, um, do you have a favorite type of music you like to listen to? I'm country. I live uh-huh. in, I live outside of Nashville, so I love country. Yeah. And is it country? Like I've talked a little bit about this before. Oh, actually it was Heather. It was funny. We, I think we were talking about, I'm not sure if it was Austin or what we were talking about, but she mentioned how, you know, cause I love country as well, but I'm more of a, like Johnny Cash, old school, you know, Merle Haggard type country. I, I never really uh-huh. get in, got into the newer country, but is there a newer country scene going on out there? Oh yeah, for sure. I yeah. mean, my favorite artist is Casey Musgraves. I think she's the best at the moment. Okay. All right. Perfect. Uh-huh. And what about your, uh, kind of, uh, go-to beverage at the end of the day after a day of fishing? Oh, I'm a scotch drinker, a single malt scotch. All right. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what else do we have for you? I think uh, we're, we're getting pretty close there. I, I just had a, a couple of notes I was going to touch base on, um, as far as casting, cause I get these questions quite frequently, but it sounds like, you know, you do some instruction. Do you kind of get into the, the casting instruction stuff a lot? Yep, I do. I'm on the board of the FFI. 
but I am not a certified casting instructor. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think that you, I don't think that you have to be, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, I think a, a lot of women are and men are afraid to teach someone because they don't think that they're good enough. But listen, you only have to be better than the person you're teaching right. to give them a few pointers. And we can always recognize the tick in someone else's cast before we can recognize it in ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you have um, one thing, this might not come to you right away, but one thing you want to share that maybe nobody uh, knows about you yet? Nobody knows about me yet. I used to be a pastor's <laughs> wife. Does that count? Wow, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. How, how Now, maybe you could take us down there just for a sec. Is that, uh, was that a pretty, uh, I guess, different, a little different, or was that just a fairly <laughs> normal way of life? No, I mean, I, you know, I, um, it was... It was a different type of life. I got married really young. And in fact, my ex-husband is still a pastor. Um, but yeah, I, I was a pastor's wife. No one would ever know that about me right now because I always, the big yep. joke is that I didn't start drinking until I was 38 and I haven't <laughs> stopped yet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's cool. Good stuff. All right. Well, <clears throat> yeah, Jen, this is, um, I think that's about all I have for you. I just wanted to, before I let you go, see if you can, uh, you know, in the next six to 12 months, if there's anything, I guess you have the road trip coming up. Is there anything else you want to note with the magazine or anything else you have going on? Yeah, so uh, I'm doing a uh, trip to Argentina, uh, hosting it through Orvis. That's in January. I'll be at all of the fly fishing shows um, in Denver, Edison, and Atlanta, where we're going to have uh, women's showcases, which are really a lot of fun. Um, Heather and I are doing the road trip again, and we are also planning a woman's trip to Calgary. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that'll be in August. You're It'll be a lot of fun. You're packing it in. That's so cool. Yep. All right. Well, and if people want to find you, they can just go to, uh, I guess, donemagazine.com is the best place. Yep. That's the best place. All right. And, uh, okay, Heather, or <laughs> Heather, I was just thinking about, I was just thinking about Heather. <laughs> it's all right. I was thinking about Heather Hotza because she, uh, she, I was thinking about her. We were doing, I was doing the same question with Heather and she was telling me about, I didn't realize she was a nurse. Oh yeah. And she, she's incredible. I totally. And we got in this whole thing about, we went deep into like kind of death, right? Like she deals with people that are dying and it was totally, uh -huh. it was intense. And, uh -huh. and I, that was just popping in my head because you are not, I mean, you've, fly fishing is your, is your world. I mean, is your full-time income. Yeah, it is. Which is, which is amazing because a lot of people <laughs> I talk to on here are kind of half of them. In fact, half of them say there's, there's, I, I say this probably too much, but you know, there's no money to be made. There's not enough money to be made in fly fishing. So I love hearing these stories, like talking to you when you've actually done it. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to make uh, $10 million this next year, but you know what? I'll make enough to feed myself and pay my mortgage That's for sure. and put out a good magazine, you know, and, and do something that I absolutely love and makes me happy. And I think that when you do that, I've told my children over and over and over, when you do something that makes you happy, the money will follow. Right. Yep. It's true. I agree. I agree. That's the thing mm -hmm. I'm going to tell, uh, tell my girls as well. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little more about the Dunn magazine over Christmas. So, uh, yeah, uh, Jen, appreciate you coming on and thanks for spending the time. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. See ya. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we cover, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 60. And a, uh, another shout out to our patrons over at uh, wetflyswing.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, where a buck will get you started. It would be super amazing if you can leave a comment on the blog uh, at uh, wetflyswing.com slash 60 and let me know what you think of the show. And one last little nugget, an easy way to subscribe to the show is to text FWS, that's for Wet Fly Swing, to 31996. And a, uh, just one click on the text, it'll get you started. Thanks again, and uh, looking forward to catching up with you soon, and hope to maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.